You know, you may not believe in original sin, but you know what they say about it? It's the one Christian belief you can prove empirically. You can prove it empirically. And there's one thing in our quieter moments when we allow ourselves to feel. And many of us are so busy that we never take that time and wonder why our lives are confused, tangled fishing line, a mess. When we allowed ourselves to feel and reflect and take stock, we come to realize if we looked at the broad borders of things, that it doth seem as if this world of ours has undergone a shipwreck. The evil that it knows, the treachery of people's hands, the harm comes to the innocent, the good, the hard striving, unrewarded, and on and on. It doth seem as if our world hath undergone a shipwreck. Not easily dealt with indeed. You know, every morning when I opened the church, I walked down along there on purpose to be able to see those magnificent windows of the great Western Fathers and St. Athanasius as well. It's not the brightest day, so it doesn't do it justice, but they're simply magnificent. They were made in Germany, and there's those deep reds and blues that you can't get. I've seen windows like that in Hawaii and Europe, whatever, and when I see them, I say, where did they come from? And that color and that message and that grandeur, you can't get them today. And I see those, and I have a chance to pause and think about how people took the Christian message and brought it down to where it touched down on earth and taught those all around. Harvard has its faculty. The good people who built this church for you and me, never having met us, decided to show us that the church has its own faculty. Augustine and Ambrose, Thomas and Bonaventure, Athanasius, Gregory the Great, Leo the Great. We gotta get another window for him. And obviously St. Francis de Sales, we gotta get an extra picture window for him. Please, duh, obviously. The Pope just wrote that marvelous letter about him, 28 December. I entrust it to you. The fellow who stuck up for the laity, stuck up for woman, women, and said, you didn't simply have to become a monk or not understand the monastery behind the walls all day, but wrote for people heavily involved just as I began, with anxieties, worries, things to do. They could almost subtract, suck the self out of them, and wrote for them to teach them the devout life and to remind them that they all were called to sanctity, called to sanctity all. Now those windows were in a museum in Germany. They were kept there for a year before they came over. And in some ways I'd say it was because of their art, but it was also because of the fact that if they came across the Atlantic, they would end up on the bottom. Same as with the Carrara marble, the gold marble we see here, because it was the Great War. All of us have studied in school, are they dealt with it in primary school, high school, again in college? And no one ever can quite put their finger on why that war was necessary, which if you ask me in human terms, says more than all words can say. And then without the First World War, they tell us there wouldn't have been a Second World War. And then now we have a war which they assured us could never happen on the continent of Europe, and started by perhaps people realizing 
they had all these failures. So if you start a war somewhere else, it will take the pressure off you and unite your people. JFK said of the, uh, his pro they said of JFK's promise of a man on the moon, person on the moon by the end of the decade, that America threw its cap over the fence, the image being a kid throwing his cap over so he had to learn to climb the fence to get his hat back. Many times soldiers can be sent abroad and then everyone in the country has to line up in complete agreement because it's already started and you're questioning our fighting troops. But what isn't heard, listened to, or mentioned is the message of our Lord today. The matter, as he said earlier in the, in the marvelous Beatitudes that begin the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Blessed are the peacemakers. How does that happen? Work for justice, Paul VI said. Many other saints have said many other things. Think of Francis of Assisi, those statues you see outside of Anglican and Catholic and other churches and homes, with a bird in his hand, with a deer at his feet, with a bunny rabbit over there. And you see a scene in that, something like Dante. The world as a whole and everything resolved into peace and into love and wholeness. Whenever I walk through Harvard Yard, I always look at the squirrels as fellow creatures. You say, well, you've finally found someone with the same IQ. Actually, that's not fair. The squirrels are brighter than that. They've done nothing to deserve your risque comment. But the fact is, that's a wholeness that we all seek in the depths of our hearts. Peace of heart, the, the unum necessarium, and the thing so easily lost. Now, in the case of the war that has to be stopped, and some things I mentioned easily fall into that category, the church has its formulae. We had the great good fortune to have early on uh, here, uh, Father J. Brian Hare, who was a MacArthur Fellow born of his writing the Peace Pastoral Matter on Nuclear Weapons for the American Bishops. You know, World War I, two, you say, couldn't get worse. But then, as JFK said, the nuclear sword of Damocles hanging by a single thread over the human race. And most of us think with a shake, uh, he got a new president appointed, if the president be sensible, uh, how unnerving it must be to see how easily those things are set off by mistake, much less by human will, even if not humane. Today, Christ calls us to take the laws, the rules, and so on by which we live and bring them to a deeper level, as he already has in the Beatitudes. We go to confession, we talk about our sins of commission. Well, I didn't murder anyone, I didn't steal, didn't commit adultery. And we sort of miss the fact that we're overlooking our sins of omission, which are often larger in number and greater in quality. My favorite one I've told you is the one when you see the bumper sticker, get a life, or get friendships, have friends. I've often had, when I realize a couple I'm preparing for marriage don't have friends, I haven't had to say to them to get to them. Now think of how roundabout and backwards this is, but I'm trying to be helpful, and I have the same thing in my life you try to help me with, thankless, but you try, that, uh, well, you know, you should have friends, you don't have friends, but you should have friends so you can exhibit that behavior to your children. We'll say, okay, thank you. Well, that's a way of dealing gently with people a way we all want to be dealt with. Because although we all make mistakes and omit things, don't have time for things, work too hard, serve our boss, but not our lives or our God, we like to be dealt with gently. 
good St. Francis de Sales, gentle and meek, a person who didn't, winning over all the Calvinists in a province that came open, he said the way they will be won is by love. That's what his compatriot Saint Jane de Chantel did. Said don't see people's faults, see their virtues and approach them by that, obviously, but so oft forgotten. Christ calls us today not to have enemies. And in some ways it seems impossible. But I always say to people, don't have any enemies. Don't have them. You know, I was up at the, what we now call the Smith Center, the big brutalist cement building facing Harvard Square. Are you with me? I hesitate to bring it up. I know I gave you a shudder, but there you are. Reality 101. And uh, I was walking through the tunnel through it. And a fellow came up to me very warmly and big hug and stuff. And he had been in the grad school before. He was now a notable faculty member in the middle of the country. And uh, he said, Father, I always quote you. And he mentioned several things. Poor devil. Some people like judgment. And, but he's very generous. And he said, one of them is my quote of Pope John the 23rd. Good Pope John called good because of those, all that sense he had of concern for persons and the humane. And whenever those servants are Romano would talk about the church's enemies in editorial or headlines, why are you saying the church's enemies? The church has no enemies. That is a brilliant point, a crucial point, a fundamental point. I've been stationed with people who could pick a fight in an empty room. We've all run into people like this in our different postings. And they would come to a place and immediately say, have this person's enemy, that person, but it was induced much as a magnet would an iron, oppositely, in people who were very pleasant. They might have a particular uh, frown on their face, something else, but they weren't that way. It wasn't representative of them. How important for all of us to have no enemies and not let that get started. Because once started, it goes like a zipper. It connects completely at 100 points, all, many of them false. One can always find things to complain about. If I once went to Yale, think of that. But nonetheless, there are things we can complain about, but it is important to try to build the good. And the way we do that is by starting to develop a taste for it, as the old prayer used to say of my childhood. And it's developing a taste for the good and learning truly to rejoice in it. And rejoicing all the places we go and all the people we see and not having enemies. President Lincoln had those two secretaries used to come and order and mercifully their great uh, treasure trove of stories about him. And one of the things they would quite self-righteously uh, say to him, they knew they were right and he was wrong, is that he would reward his enemies. If they needed a political favor or something else, he would do that for them. And they would say he was wrong, he was stupid, he was an idiot. Do you know what he said to them? Have you noticed that I no longer have enemies. They may have considered him of a different political point of view, but he himself, for starters, didn't inseminate that into the process. He chose not to have enemies, and what a difference for the world he made. Doris Kearns Goodwin, a marvelous presidential biographer, had her across the street for the FDR space when I started a lecture series there, honored to get her, and uh, she spoke on FDR, but at that time she also spoke on Lincoln. And the title of the book, the famous book that she was autographing afterwards that had come out, was The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln. Do you know what the subtitle was on the other side of the colon? 
Do you have time to walk beyond the colon with me to hear what the rest of the title was? Team of Rivals. They ran against him, and three of them ran against him in 1860. They could have been his enemies. He put them into his cabinet. And that's how we rebuild the world. We are indeed conscious of a shipwreck. But how important for all of us, not only put our shoulders to the wheels of history, not only our heads, but also our hearts, to rebuild what obviously can be a fallen world, but also is a world full of hope. Mother Teresa did what everyone thought was stupid. She, uh, she dealt with the dying and the poor. And everyone of any education or economic sense said, they have no future, why are you dealing with them? I'm repeating what they said, I don't believe that, but I just have to, have to develop the story, right? And then the world itself saw it so obviously that what she did was a treasure for peace in the world that they gave her the Nobel Prize. And Harvard, Harvard gave her a doctorate. There's a story of Bob Kiley, who was the faculty minder for Tennessee Williams at the same commencement. And he arrived not dressed for a Harvard commencement in the view of many of the great and good in 02138. You have fellows with tails and top hats and so on and so forth. And he wasn't dressed for, and Bob noticed him sort of noticing this himself about himself. And he seemed to get more and more nervous. And Professor Kiley was worried he was going to bolt, that Tennessee Billiams was going to bolt. Well, how can he do that? Well, he has two feet and he has two legs and he knows how to run. And what would you do if you had the degree ready and he wasn't there? And so they went into Massachusetts Hall where the oldest corporation of the hemisphere is, the oldest trust and so on, assembly, and all the great and good. And Bob said to me, I don't think they even noticed her there. She was on a settee with a sister who would succeed her. They were saying the rosary. And he said they were probably also self-involved, they never noticed her. But Tennessee Williams did. And he went over and knelt down in front of her. And amid all his nervousness and worry and inadequacy, he put his head on her lap and she put her hands on his head. And she was transformed, he was transformed. Bob said from that moment, he was perked up and he was fine. There was not a problem in the world. If we depend on others and God's love, and the things that make the world tick. Not simply ourselves or the opinions of others. If we don't see others as enemies, but we see them as brothers and sisters in the Lord. How important to include everyone in. There's a famous acronym in James Joyce, HCE. I often see it on manhole covers of the university. We'll talk about it later. And uh, many people have said, here come everybody is what it symbolizes. Do you know what people say? In its best moments, it captures what the Catholic Church is or the Catholic Church should be. That we have no one we're on the outs with or we would push out. That everyone else is welcome and everyone is beloved. Our fellow Christians, people of other faiths, people of no faith at all. Here comes everybody. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.